Chapter fourteen of Vandover and the Brute. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Vandover and the Brute by Frank Norris. Chapter fourteen. The house was crowded to the doors, there was no longer any standing room, and many were even sitting on the steps of the aisles. In the boxes the gentlemen were standing up behind the chairs of large plain ladies in showy toilets and diamonds. The atmosphere was heavy with the smell of gas, of plush upholstery, of wilting bouquets, and of sachet. A fine vapour as of the visible exhalation of many breaths pervaded the house, blurring the lower lights and dimming the splendour of the great glass chandelier. It was warm to suffocation, a dry, irritating warmth that perspiration did not relieve, while the air itself was stale and close, as though fouled by being breathed over and over again. In the topmost galleries, banked with tiers of watching faces, the heat must have been unbearable. The only movement perceptible throughout the audience was the little swaying of gay-colored fans like the balancing of butterflies about to light. Occasionally there would be a vast rustling like the sound of wind in a forest, as the holders of librettos turned the leaves simultaneously. The orchestra thundered, the French horns snarling, the first violins wailing in unison, while all the bows went up and down together like parts of a well-regulated machine. The kettle drums rolled sonorously at exact intervals, and now and then one heard the tinkling of the harp like the pattering of raindrops between peals of thunder. The leader swayed from side to side in his place, beating time with his baton, his hand, and his head. On the stage itself the act was drawing to a close. There had just been a duel. The baritone lay stretched upon the floor at left center, his sword fallen at some paces from him. On the left of the scene front stood the tenor who had killed him, singing in his highest register, very red in the face, continually striking his hand upon his breast and pointing with his sword toward his fallen enemy. Next to him on the extreme left was his friend the basso, in high leather boots, growling from time to time during a sustained chord, mon honneur et ma foi. In the center of the stage, the soprano, the star, the prima donna, chanted a fervid but ineffectual appeal to the tenor, who cried, Jamais, jamais, striking his breast and pointing with his sword. The prima donna cried, Ah, mon Dieu, ayez petit de moi. Her confidant, the mezzo-soprano, came to her support, repeating her words with an impersonal meaning. Ayez petit d'elle. Mon honneur et ma foi, growled the basso. The contralto, dressed as a man, turned toward the audience on the extreme right, bringing out her notes with a wrench and a twist of her body and neck, and intoning, Ah, malheureuse, mon Dieu, ayez petit d'elle. The leader of the chorus, costumed as the captain of the watch, leaned over the dead baritone and sang, Il est mort, il est mort, mon Dieu, ayez petit de lui. The soldiers of the watch were huddled together immediately back of him. They wore tin helmets, much too large, and green plums, and repeated his words continually. The chorus itself was made up of citizens of the town. It was in a semicircle at the back of the stage, the men on one side, the women on the other. They made all their gestures together, and chanted without ceasing, Ou horaire, ou mystère, il est mort, mon Dieu, ayez petit de nous. De grâce, cried the prima donna. Jamais, jamais, echoed the tenor, striking his breast and pointing with his sword. Ou mystère, chanted the chorus, while the basso struck his hand upon his sword-hilt, 
growling mon honneur et ma foi the orchestra redoubled the finale began all the pieces of the orchestra all the voices on the stage commenced over again very loud they all took a step forward and the rhythm became more rapid till it reached a climax where the prima donna's voice jumped to a c in alt holding it long enough for the basso to thunder mon honneur et ma foi twice then they all struck the attitudes for the closing tableau and in one last burst of music sang all together mon dieu aïe petit de moi and de lui and de elle and de nous then the orchestra closed with a long roll of the kettle drums and the prima donna fainted into the arms of her confidant the curtain fell there was a roar of applause the gallery whistled and stamped everyone relaxed his or her position drawing a long breath looking about there was a general stir the lights in the great glass chandelier clicked and blazed up and a murmur of conversation arose the footlights were lowered and the orchestra left their places and disappeared underneath the stage leaving the audience with the conviction that they had gone out after beer all over the house one heard the shrill voices of boys crying out opera books books for the opera words and music for the opera throughout the boxes a great coming and going took place and an interchange of visits the gentlemen out in the foyer stood about conversing in groups or walked up and down smoking cigarettes often pausing in front of the big floral piece that was to be given to the prima donna at the end of the great scene in the fourth act there was a little titter of an electric bell the curtain was about to go up and a great rush for seats began the orchestra were coming back and tuning up they sent up a prolonged medley of sounds little minor chirps and cries from the violins liquid runs and mellow gurgles from the oboes flutes and woodwind instruments and an occasional deep-toned purring from the bass viols a bell rang faintly from behind the wings the house lights sank and the footlights blazed up the leader tapped with his baton a great silence fell upon the house while here and there one heard an energetic shh shh the fourth act was about to begin when the curtain rose on the fourth act one saw the prima donna standing in a very dejected pose in the midst of a vast apartment that might have been a bedchamber a council hall or a hall of audience she was alone she wore a loose cream-colored gown knotted about the waist her arms were bare and her hair unbound and flowing loose over her shoulders to her girdle she was to die in this act it promised to be harrowing and the first few notes she uttered recurred again later on as the motif for the famous quartet in the great scene but for all this the music had little by little taken possession of vandover and little by little he had forgotten his surroundings the stifling air of the house the blinding glitter of the stage and the discomfort of his limbs cramped into the narrow orchestra chair all music was music to him he loved it with an unreasoned uncritical love enjoying even the barrel organs and hand pianos of the streets for the present the slow beat and cadence of the melodies of the opera had cradled all his senses carrying him away into a kind of exalted dream the quartet began for him it was wonderfully sweet the long sustained chords breathing over the subdued orchestral accompaniment like some sweet south wind passing in long sighs over the pulse of a great ocean it seemed to him infinitely beautiful infinitely sad subdued minor plaints recurring persistently again and again like sighs of parting but could not be restrained like voices of regret for the things that were never to be again or it was a pathos a joy in all things good a vast tenderness so sweet so divinely pure that it could not be framed in words so great and so deep that it found its only expression in tears there came over him a vague sense of those things which are too beautiful to be comprehended of a nobility a self-oblivion an immortal eternal love and kindness all goodness all benignity 
all pity for sin all sorrow for grief all joy for the true the right and the pure to be better to be true and right and pure these were the only things that were worth while these were the things that he seemed to feel in the music it was as if for the moment he had become a little child again not ashamed to be innocent ignorant of vice still believing in all his illusions still near to the great white gates of life the appeal had been made directly to what was best and strongest in vandover and the answer was quick and overpowering all the good that still survived in him leaped to life again in an instant clamoring for recognition pleading for existence the other vandover the better vandover wrestled with the brute in him once more never before so strong never so persistent he had not yet destroyed all that was good in him now it had turned in one more revolt crying out against him protesting for the last time against its own perversion and destruction vandover felt that he was at the great crisis of his life after all was over he walked home through the silent streets proceeding slowly his hands in his pockets his head bent down his mind very busy once in his rooms he threw off his things and having stirred up the drowsing fire in the tiled stove sat down before it in his shirt sleeves the bosom of his full dress shirt bulging from his vest and faintly creaking as from time to time he drew a long breath he had been lured into a mood where he was himself at his very best where the other vandover the better vandover drew apart with eyes turned askance looking inward and downward into the depths of his own character shuddering terrified far down there in the darkest lowest places he had seen the brute squat deformed hideous he had seen it crawling to and fro dimly through a dark shadow he had heard it growling chafing at the least restraint restless to be free for now at last it was huge strong insatiable swollen and distorted out of all size grown to be a monster glutted yet still ravenous some fearful bestial satyr groveling perverse horrible beyond words and with the eyes of this better self he saw again little by little the course of his whole life and witnessed again the eternal struggle between good and evil that had been going on within him since his very earliest years he was sure that at the first the good had been the strongest little by little the brute had grown and he pleasure-loving adapting himself to every change of environment luxurious self-indulgent shrinking with the shrinking of a sensuous artist nature from all that was irksome and disagreeable had shut his ears to the voices that had shouted warnings of the danger and had allowed the brute to thrive and to grow its abominable famine gorged from the store of that in him which he felt to be the purest the cleanest and the best its bulk fattened upon the rot and the decay of all that was good growing larger day by day noisome swollen potty a filthy inordinate ghoul gorged and bloated by feeding on the good things that were dead besides this he saw how one by one he had wrenched himself free from all those influences that had tended to foster and to cultivate all the better part of him first of all long ago it seemed now he had allowed to be destroyed the first instinctive purity that fragile delicate innocence which dies young in almost every human being and that one sees evaporating under the earliest taint of vice with a smile partly of contempt partly of pity partly of genuine regret next it had been his father the old gentleman had exerted a great influence over vandover he had never forgotten that scene the morning after he had told him of his measure of responsibility in ida wade's suicide the recovery from the first shock of day's bewilderment and then the forgiveness the solicitude and the encouragement to begin over again to live it down and to do that which was right and good and true not only had he stopped his ears to this voice but also something told him he had done much to silence it forever 
despite the old gentleman's apparent fortitude the blow must have carried home what must he not have suffered during those long weeks while vandover was away what lonely broodings in the empty house and then the news of the wreck the days of suspense it all must have told the old gentleman was not strong vandover could not but feel that he had hastened his death and that in so doing he had destroyed another influence which would have cultivated and fostered his better self would have made it strong against the attacks of the brute the other person who had helped to bring out all that was best in vandover had been turner ravis there was no denying that when he had first known her he had loved her sincerely things were vastly different with him when turner had been his companion things that were unworthy that were low that were impure and vicious did not seem worth while then not only did they have no attraction for him but he even shunned and avoided them he knew he was a better man for loving her invariably she made him wish to be better but little by little as he frequented the society of such girls as ida wade grace irving and flossie his affection for turner faded as the habits of passionate and unhealthy excitement grew upon him he lost first the taste and then the very capacity for a calm pure feeling his affection for her he frittered away with fast girls and abandoned women strangled it in the foul musk-laden air of disreputable houses dragged and defiled it in the wine lees of the imperial in the end he had quite destroyed it wilfully wantonly killed it as turner herself had said she could only be in love with being loved her affection for him had dwindled as well at last they had come to be indifferent to each other she no longer inspired him to be better and thus he had shaken off this good influence as well public opinion had been a great check upon him the fear of scandal the desire to stand well with the world he knew trivial though he felt it to be the dread of what people would say had to a great extent held vandover back he had a position to maintain a reputation to keep up in the parlors and at the dinner tables where he was received it could not be denied that society had influenced vandover for good but this too like all the others he had cast from him now he was ostracized society cared no longer what he did his position was gone his reputation was destroyed there was no one now to stand in his way vandover could not fall back on any religious influence religion had never affected him very deeply it was true that he had been baptized confirmed and had gone to church with considerable regularity if he had been asked if he was a christian and believed in god he would have answered certainly certainly until the time of his father's death he had even said his prayers every night the last thing before turning out the gas sitting upon the edge of his bed in his nightgown his head in both his hands he added to the lord's prayer certain other petitions as to those who were in trouble sorrow poverty or other privations he asked for blessings upon his father and upon himself praying for the former's health and prosperity and for himself that he might become a great artist that the last enemy might be admitted to the salon when he had painted it and that it might make him famous but as a rule vandover thought very little about religious matters and when he did told himself that he was too intelligent to believe in a literal heaven a literal hell and a personal god personally interfering in human affairs like any jove or odin but the moment he rejected a concrete religion vandover was almost helpless he was not mystic enough to find any meaning in signs or symbols nor philosophic enough to grasp vague and immense abstractions infinities presences forces could not help him withstand temptation could not strengthen him against the brute he felt that somewhere sometime there was punishment for evil doing but as happened in the case of ida wade's death to dwell on such thoughts disturbed and terrified him he did not dare to look long in that direction conscience remorse repentance all these had been keen enough at first but he had so persistently kicked against the pricks that little by little he had ceased to feel them at all 
then an immense and overwhelming terror seized upon him was there nothing then nothing left which he could lay hold of to save him he knew that he could not deliver himself by his own exertions religion could not help him he had killed his father estranged the girl he might have loved outraged the world and at a single breath blighted the fine innate purity of his early years it was as if he had entered into his life in the world as into some vast labyrinth wandering on aimlessly flinging from him one by one the threads the clues that might have led him again to a safe exit going down deeper and deeper until when near the centre he had suddenly felt the presence of the brute had heard its loathsome muttering growl had at last seen it far down at the end of a passage dimly and in a dark shadow terrified he had started back looking wildly about for any avenue of escape searching with frantic haste and eagerness for any one of those clues he had so carelessly cast from him realizing that without such guidance he would inevitably tend down again to that fatal central place where the brute had its lair there was nothing nothing he clearly saw the fate toward which he was hurrying it was not too late to save himself if he could only find help but he could find no help his terror increased almost to hysteria it was one of those dreadful moments that men sometimes undergo that must be met alone and that when passed remained in the memory for all time a glimpse far down into the springs and wheels of life a glimpse that does not come often lest the reason brought to the edge of the fearful gulf should grow dizzy at the sight and reeling topple headlong but suddenly vandover rose to his feet the tears came to his eyes and with a long breath he exclaimed thank god for it he grew calmer in a moment the crisis had passed he had found a clue beneath his groping fingers he had remembered his art turning to it instinctively as he always did when greatly moved this was the one good thing that yet survived it was the strongest side of him it would be the last to go he felt it there yet it was the one thing that could save him the thought had come to him so suddenly and with such marvelous clearness that in his present exalted state of mind it filled him with a vague sense of awe it seemed like a manifestation a writing on the wall might it not be some sort of miracle he had heard of men reforming their lives transformed almost in an instant and had scoffed at the idea but might it not be true after all what was this wonderful thing that had happened to him was this less strange than a miracle less divine the following day vandover rented a studio it was the lofty room with hardwood floors and the immense north light in that suite which he had rejected when looking for rooms on the former occasion he gave notice to the clerk in the apartment house where his quarters were situated that he intended to vacate after the first of the month charming as he had found these rooms he gave up with scarcely a regret the idea of living in them any longer in a month it would be summer and he would be on his way to paris but so great was his desire for work now so eager was he to start the last enemy so strong was the new energy that shook him that vandover could not wait until summer to begin work again he grudged everything now that kept him away from his easel he disappeared from the sight of his ordinary companions he did not even seek the society of geary or of young haight all the sketches he had made for the last enemy together with his easel and his disused palette his color box tubes brushes and all the other materials and tools for his work he caused to be transferred to the new studio besides this he had the stretcher made best twill canvas on a frame four feet long two and a half feet high this was for the large sketch of the picture but the finished work he calculated would demand an eight by five stretcher he did not think of decorating the room of putting any ornaments about the wall he was too serious too much in earnest now to think of that the studio was not to be his lounging place but his workshop his art was work with him now hard serious work it was above all work that he needed to set him right again regular work steady earnest work 
not the dilettante fancy of an amateur content with making pretty things never in his life had vandover been so happy he came and went continually between his rooms his studio and his art dealers tramping grandly about the city whistling to himself strong elated filled with energy vigor ambition at times his mind was full of thankfulness at this deliverance at the eleventh hour at times it was busy with the details of the picture its composition its color scheme the main effects he wanted to produce were isolation and intense heat the shadows on the sand would be blue the horizon line high on the canvas the sky would be light in tone almost white near the earth the morning when he first began to work was charming his new studio was in the top floor of a five-story building and on arriving there breathless from his long climb up the stairs vandover threw open the window and gazed out and down upon the city spread out below him enjoying the view a moment before settling to his work a little later the trades would be blowing strong and brisk from the ocean driving steadily through the golden gate filling the city with a taint of salt but at present the air was calm touched with a certain nimbleness a sparkling effervescence invigorating exhilarating it was early in the forenoon not yet past nine o'clock and the mist that gathers over the city just before dawn was steaming off under the sun very thin and delicate turning all distant objects a flat tone of pale blue over the roofs of the houses he could catch a glimpse of the distant mountains faint purple masses against the pale edge of the sky rimming the horizon round with a fillet of delicate color but any larger view was barred by a huge frame house with a slated mansard roof directly opposite him across the street a residence house one of the few in the neighborhood it had been newly painted white and showed brave and gay against the dark blue of the sky and the ruddy greens of the great garden in which it stood vandover from his window could from time to time catch the smell of eucalyptus trees coming to him in long aromatic breaths mingled with the odor of wet grass and fresh paint somewhere he heard a hummingbird singing a tiny tweedling thread of song while farther off two roosters were crowing back and forth at each other with strained and raucous trumpet calls vandover turned back to his work under the huge north light was the easel and clamped upon it the stretcher blank and untouched the very sight of the heavy cream white twill was an inspiration already vandover saw a great picture upon it a great wave of emotion suddenly welled up within him and he cried with enthusiasm by god it is in moods like this that chef d'oeuvre are made around the baseboard of the room were a row of acheses for the picture on small landscape stretchers mere blotches of color laid on with the palette knife and large brushes almost unintelligible to anyone but vandover he selected two or three of these and fastened them to the easel above the big stretcher where he could have them continually in his eye he lit his pipe rolled up his shirt sleeves and standing before the easel began to sharpen a stick of charcoal with an old razor drawing the blade toward him so as to keep the point of the stick from breaking then at last with a deep breath of satisfaction he began blocking in the first large construction lines of his picture it was one o'clock before he knew it he went downtown and had a hasty lunch jealous of every moment that was not spent on his picture the sight of it as he re-entered the room sent a thrill all over him he was succeeding better than he could have expected doing better than he thought he would he felt sure that now he should go do good work every stage of the picture's progress was an inspiration for the next one at this time the figures had only been placed broadly sketched in large lines blocked in as he called it the next step was the second drawing much more finished he rapped the stretcher sharply with his knuckles it responded sonorously like a drumhead the vibration shaking the charcoal from the tracings filling the air with a fine dust the outlines grew faint just perceptible enough to guide him in the second more detailed drawing 
he brought his stick of charcoal to a very fine edge and set to work carefully in a moment he stopped and with his chamois cloth dusted out what he had drawn he had made a false start he began but could not recall how the line should run his fingers were willing enough in his imagination he saw just how the outline should be but somehow he could not make his hand interpret what was in his head some third medium through which the one used to act upon the other was sluggish dull worse than that it seemed to be absent well he muttered can't i make this come out right then he tried more carefully his imagination saw the picture clearer his hand moved with more assurance but the two seemed to act independently of each other the forms he made on the canvas were no adequate reflection of those in his brain some third delicate and subtle faculty that coordinated the other two and that called a fourth a sure and instant response to the dictates of his mind was lacking the lines on his canvas were those of a child just learning to draw one saw for what they were intended but they were crude they had no life no meaning the very thing that would have made them intelligible interpretive that would have made them art was absent a third a fourth and a fifth time vandover made the attempt it was useless he knew that it was not because his hand lacked cunning on account of long disuse such a thing in spite of popular belief never happened to artists a good artist might abandon his work for five years ten years and take it up again precisely where he had laid it down with no loss of technical skill no this thing seemed more subtle so subtle that at first he could hardly grasp it but suddenly a great fear came upon him a momentary return of that wild hysterical terror from which he believed he had forever escaped is it gone he cried out is it gone from me my art steady he went on passing his hand over his face with a reassuring smile steady old man this won't do again and so soon it won't do for you to get scared twice like that this is just nervousness you are overexcited pshaw what's the matter with me let's get to work still another time he dusted out what he had done and recommenced concentrating all his attention with a tremendous effort of the will of grotesque and meaningless shapes the mocking caricatures of those he saw in his fancy grew under his charcoal while slowly slowly a queer numb feeling came in his head like a rising fog and the touch of that unreasoning terror returned this time stronger more persistent more tenacious than before vandover nerved himself against it not daring to give in fearing to allow himself to see what this really meant he passed one hand over his cheek and along the side of his head the fingers dancing hum he muttered looking vaguely about him this is bad i mustn't let this get the better of me now i'll knock off for to-day take a little rest begin again to-morrow in ten minutes he was back at his easel again his charcoal wandered tracing empty lines on his canvas the strange numbness grew again in his head all the objects in the range of his eyes seemed to move back and stand on the same plane he became a little dizzy it's the tobacco he exclaimed that pipe always was too strong he turned away to the open window feeling an irresistible need of distraction of amusement and he remained there resting on his elbows listening and looking trying to be interested it was toward the middle of the afternoon the morning mist was long since evaporated and the first faint puffs of the inevitable trade wind were just stirring the leaves of the eucalyptus across the street in the music room of the white house the young lady of the family had opened the piano and was practicing finger exercises the scales and arpeggios following one another without interruption came to his ears in a pleasant monotone a chinese boy in a stiff blouse of white linen made a great splashing as he washed down the front steps with a bucket of water and the garden hose grocery and delivery wagons came and went rattling over the cobbles and car tracks while occasionally a whistle blew very far off 
at the corner of the street by a livery stable a little boy in a flat-topped leather cap was calling incessantly for some unseen dog whistling and slapping his knees an express wagon stopped a few doors below the white house and the driver pulled down the back board with a strident rattle of chains the cable in its slot kept up an unceasing burr and clack while the cars themselves trundled up and down the street starting and stopping with a jangling of bells the jostled glass windows whirring in a prolonged vibrant note all these sounds played lightly over the steady muffled roar that seemed to come from all quarters at once it was that deep murmur that great minor diapason that always disengages itself from vast bodies from mountains from oceans from forests from sleeping armies the desire for movement for diversion for anything that would keep him from thinking was not to be resisted vandover caught up his hat and fled from the room not daring to look again at the easel once outside he began to walk anywhere straight before him going on with great strides his head in the air he found charlie geary and took him to supper vandover talked continually on all sorts of subjects speaking very rapidly in the evening he insisted on geary going to the theatre with him he paid the closest attention to the play letting it occupy his mind entirely when the play was over and the two were about to say good night vandover began to urge geary to sleep up at his rooms that night he overrode his objections interrupting him taking hold of his arm and starting off but geary a little surprised at his manner refused there were certain law papers he had taken home with him from the office that afternoon and that it was necessary he should return in the morning ah you bet he would get it right in the neck if old beale didn't have those depositions the first thing when the office was open ah he was getting to be indispensable down there he had had fisher's place now for a year fisher had never come back and he had the promise of being taken on as head clerk as soon as beale jr went into the partnership with old beale i'll make my way in this town yet he declared i'll be in that partnership myself some day you see yes sir ah you bet the idea of passing the night alone terrified vandover he started toward home walking up sutter street proceeding slowly his hands in his pockets all at once he stopped without knowing why he roused himself and looked about him there was a smell of eucalyptus in the air across the street was the huge white house and he found that he had stopped just before the door of the building on the top floor of which his studio was situated all day vandover's mind had been in the greatest agitation his ideas leaping and darting hither and thither like terrified birds in a cage just now he underwent in sudden reaction it had all been a matter of fancy nothing but nervousness he had not drawn for some time his hand lacked cunning from long disuse the desire for work came upon him again overpoweringly he wanted to see again if he could not draw just as truly and freely as in the old days no he could not wait until morning he must put himself to the test again at once at the very instant it was a sudden feminine caprice induced no doubt by the exalted strained and unnatural condition of his nerves a caprice that could not be reasoned with that could not be withstood he had his keys with him he opened the outside door and groped his way up the four long flights of stairs to his studio the studio was full of a somber half-light like a fog spreading downward from the great north light in the sloping roof the window was still wide open the stretcher showed a pale gray blur vandover was about to light the gas when he checked himself his arm still raised above his head ah no he did not dare to look at the result of his day's work it would be better to start in afresh from the beginning he found the chamois skin on the tray of the easel and rubbed out all the drawing on the canvas then he lit the gas as he returned to his work once more a little thrill of joy and of relief passed over him this time his hand was sure steady his head was clear it had been nervousness after all 
as he picked up his charcoal he even exclaimed to himself just the same that was a curious experience this afternoon but the curious experience repeated itself again that night as soon as he tried to work once more certain shapes and figures were born upon his canvas but they were no longer the true children of his imagination they were no longer his own they were changelings grotesque abortions it was as if the brute in him like some malicious witch had stolen away the offspring of his mind putting in their place these deformed dwarfs its own hideous spawn through the numbness and giddiness that gradually came into his head like a poisonous mark he saw one thing clearly it was gone his art was gone the one thing that could save him that too like all the other good things of his life he had destroyed at some time during those years of debauchery it had died that subtle elusive something delicate as a flower he had ruined it little by little it had exhaled away wilting in the air of unrestrained debauches perishing in the warm musk-laden atmosphere of disreputable houses defiled by the breath of abandoned women trampled into the spilt wine lees of the imperial dragged all fouled and polluted through the lowest mire of the great city's vice for a moment vandover felt as though he was losing his hold upon his reason the return of the hysteria shook him like a dry light leaf he suddenly had a sensation that the room was too small to hold him he ran almost reeled to the open window drawing his breath deep and fast inhaling the cool night air rolling his eyes wildly it was night he looked out into a vast blue-gray space sown with points of light winking lamps and steady slow-burning stars below him was the sleeping city all the lesser staccato noises of the day had long since died to silence there only remained that prolonged and sullen diapason coming from all quarters at once it was like the breathing of some infinitely great monster alive and palpitating the systole and diastole of some gigantic heart the whole existence of the great slumbering city passed upward there before him through the still night air in one long wave of sound it was life the murmur of the great mysterious force that spun the wheels of nature and that sent it onward like some enormous engine resistless relentless an engine that sped straight forward driving before it the infinite herd of humanity driving it on at breathless speed through all eternity driving it no one knew whither crushing out inexorably all those who lagged behind the herd and who fell from exhaustion grinding them to dust beneath its myriad iron wheels riding over them still driving on the herd that yet remained driving it recklessly blindly on and on towards some far distant goal some vague unknown end some mysterious fearful born forever hidden in thick darkness end of chapter fourteen